Section 12 of The Notebooks of Samuel Butler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Notebooks of Samuel Butler. Edited by Henry Festing Jones. Chapter 9 A Painter's Views on Painting. Part 1 the old masters and their pupils the old masters taught not because they liked teaching nor yet from any idea of serving the cause of art nor yet because they were paid to teach by the parents of their pupils the parents probably paid no money at first the masters took pupils and taught them because they had more work to do than they could get through and wanted someone to help them they sold the pupils work as their own just as people do now who take apprentices when people can sell a pupil's work, they will teach the pupil all they know, and will see he learns it. This is the secret of the whole matter. The modern schoolmaster does not aim at learning from his pupils. He hardly can, but the old masters did. See how Giovanni Bellini learned from Titian and Giorgione, who both came to him in the same year as boys, when Bellini was sixty-three years old. What a day for painting was that! All Bellini's best work was done thenceforward. I know nothing in the history of art so touching as this. 1883. P.S. I have changed my mind about Titian. I don't like him. 1897. The Academic System and Repentance The academic system goes almost on the principle of offering places for repentance and letting people fall soft by assuming that they should be taught how to do things before they do them, and not by the doing of them good economy requires that there should be little place for repentance and that when people fall they should fall hard enough to remember it the jubilee sixpence we have spent hundreds of thousands or more probably of millions on national art collections schools of art preliminary training and academicism without wanting anything in particular but when the nation did at last try all it knew to design a sixpence it failed footnote if I remember right, the original Jubilee sixpence had to be altered, because it was so like a half-sovereign that on being gilded it passed as one. End of footnote. The other coins are all very well in their way, and so are the stamps. The letters get carried and the money passes, but both stamps and coins would have been just as good, and very likely better, if there had not been an art school in the country. 1888. Studying from Nature when is a man studying from nature, and when is he only flattering himself that he is doing so because he is painting with a model or lay figure before him? A man may be working his eight or nine hours a day from the model, and yet not be studying from nature. He is painting, but not studying. He is like the man in the Bible who looks at himself in a glass, and goeth away forgetting what manner of man he was. He will know no more about nature at the end of twenty years, then a priest who has been reading his breviary day after day without committing it to memory will know of its contents unless he gets what he has seen well into his memory so as to have it at his fingers ends as familiarly as the characters with which he writes a letter he can be no more held to be familiar with and to have command over nature than a man who only copies his signature from a copy kept in his pocket as I have known French Canadians do, can be said to be able to write. It is painting without nature that will give a man this, and not painting directly from her. 
he must do both the one and the other, and the one as much as the other. The model and the lay figure. It may be doubted whether they have not done more harm than good. They are an attempt to get a bit of stuffed nature, and to study from that instead of studying from the thing itself. Indeed, the man who never has a model, but studies the faces of people as they sit opposite him in an omnibus, and goes straight home and puts down what little he can of what he has seen, dragging it out piecemeal from his memory, and going into another omnibus to look again for what he has forgotten as near as he can find it. That man is studying from nature as much as he who has a model four or five hours daily, and probably more. For you may be painting from nature as much without nature actually before you as with, and you may have nature before you all the while you are painting, and yet not be painting from her. Sketching from nature is very like trying to put a pinch of salt on her tail, and yet many manage to do it very nicely. Great Art and Sham Art Art has no end in view, save the emphasizing and recording in the most effective way some strongly felt interest or affection. Where there is neither interest nor desire to record with good effect, there is but sham art or none at all. Where both these are fully present, no matter how rudely and inarticulately, there is great art. Art is, at best, a dress, important, yet still nothing in comparison with the wearer, and, as a general rule, the less it attracts attention, the better. Inarticulate Touches An artist's touches are sometimes no more articulate than the barking of a dog who would call attention to something, without exactly knowing what. This is as it should be, and he is a great artist who can be depended on not to bark at nothing. Detail One reason why it is as well not to give very much detail is that no matter how much is given, the eye will always want more. It will know very well that it is not being paid in full. On the other hand, no matter how little one gives, the eye will generally compromise by wanting only a little more. In either case, the eye will want more so one may as well stop sooner or later. Sensible painting, like sensible law, sensible writing, or sensible anything else, consists as much in knowing what to omit as what to insist upon. It consists in the tact that tells the painter where to stop. Painting and Association Painting is only possible by reason of associations not sticking to the letter of its bond, so that we jump to conclusions. The Credulous Eye Painters should remember that the eye, as a general rule, is a good, simple, credulous organ, very ready to take things on trust if it be told them with any confidence of assertion. Truths from Nature We must take as many as we can, but the difficulty is that it is often so hard to know what the truths of nature are. Accuracy After having spent years striving to be accurate, we must spend as many more in discovering when and how to be inaccurate. Herbert Spencer He is like nature to Fuseli. He puts me out. Shade, color, and reputation. When a thing is near and in light, color and form are important. When far and in shadow, they are unimportant. Form and color are like reputations, which, when they become shady, are much of a muchness. Money and Technique Money is very like technique or vice versa. We see that both musicians or painters with great command of technique 
seldom know what to do with it, while those who have little often know how to use what they have. Action and Study These things are antagonistic. The composer is seldom a great theorist. The theorist is never a great composer. Each is equally fatal to and essential in the other. Sacred and Profane Statues I have never seen statues of Jove, Neptune, Apollo, or any of the pagan gods that are not as great failures as the statues of Christ and the Apostles. Seeing If a man has not studied painting, or at any rate black and white drawing, his eyes are wild. Learning to draw tames them. The first step towards taming the eyes is to teach them not to see too much. Quickness in seeing, as in everything else, comes from long sustained effort after rightness, and comes unsought. It never comes from effort after quickness. Improvement in Art Painting depends upon seeing. Seeing depends upon looking for this or that, at least in great part it does so. Think of and look at your work as though it were done by your enemy. If you look at it to admire it, you are lost. Any man, as old Heatherly used to say, will go on improving, as long as he is bona fide dissatisfied with his work. Improvement in one's painting depends upon how we look at our work. If we look at it to see where it is wrong, we shall see this and make it righter. If we look at it to see where it is right, we shall see this and shall not make it righter. We cannot see it both wrong and right at the same time. Light and Shade Tell the young artist that he wants a black piece here or there, when he sees no such black piece in nature, and that he must continue this or that shadow thus, and break this light into this or that other, when in nature he sees none of these things, and you will puzzle him very much. He is trying to put down what he sees. He does not care two straws about composition, or light and shade. If he sees two tones of such and such relative intensity in nature, he will give them, as near as he can, the same relative intensity in his picture, and to tell him that he is perhaps exactly to reverse the natural order, in deference to some canon of the academicians, and that at the same time he is drawing from nature, is what he cannot understand. I am very doubtful how far people do not arrange their light and shade too much with the result with which we are familiar in drawing master's copies. It may be right, or it may not, I don't know. I am afraid I ought to know, but I don't. But I do know that those pictures please me best which were painted without the slightest regard to any of these rules. I suppose the justification of those who talk, as above, lies in the fact, as we cannot give all nature, we lie by suppressio veri, whether we like it or no, and that you sometimes lie less by putting in something which does not exist at the moment, but which easily might exist, and which gives a lot of facts which you otherwise could not give at all, than by giving so much as you can alone give if you adhere rigidly to the facts. If this is so, the young painter would understand the matter, if it were thus explained to him, better than he is likely to do if he is merely given it as a canon. At the same time, I admit it to be true that one never sees light, but it has got dark in it, nor vice versa and that this comes to saying that if you are to be true to nature you must break your lights into your shadows and vice versa. And so usual is this, that if there happens here or there to be an exception, the painter had better say nothing about it, 
for it is more true to nature's general practice not to have it so than to have it certainly as regards color i never remember to have seen a piece of one color without finding a bit of a very similar color not far off but having no connection with it this holds good in such an extraordinary way that if it happens to fail the matter should be passed over in silence color the expression seeing color used to puzzle me i was aware that some painters made their pictures more pleasing in color than others and more like the color of the actual thing as a whole still there were any number of bits of brilliant color in their work which for the life of me i could not see in nature i used to hear people say of a man who got pleasing and natural color does he not see color well and i used to say he did but as far as i was concerned it would have been more true to say that he put down color which he did not see well or at any rate that he put down color which i could not see myself in course of time i got to understand that seeing color does not mean inventing color or exaggerating it but being on the lookout for it thus seeing it where another will not see it and giving it the preference as among things to be preserved and rendered amid the wholesale slaughter of innocence which is inevitable in any painting painting is only possible as a quasi-hieroglyphic epitomizing of nature this means that the half goes for the whole whereon the question arises which half is to be taken and which made to go the colorist will insist by preference on the colored half the man who has no liking for color however much else he may sacrifice will not be careful to preserve this and as a natural consequence he will not preserve it good that is to say pleasing beautiful or even pretty color cannot be got by putting patches of pleasing beautiful or pretty color upon one's canvas and which is a harder matter leaving them when they have been put it is said of money that it is more easily made than kept and this is true of many things such as friendship and even life itself is more easily got than kept the same holds good of color it is also true that as with money more is made by saving than in any other way and the surest way to lose color is to play with it inconsiderately not knowing how to leave well alone a touch of pleasing color should on no account be stirred without consideration that we can see in a natural object more color than strikes us at a glance if we look for it attentively will not be denied by any who have tried to look for it thus take a dull dead level grimy old london wall at a first glance we can see no color in it nothing but a more or less purplish mass got perhaps as nearly as in any other way by a tint mixed with black indian red and white if however we look for color in this we shall find here and there a broken brick with a small surface of brilliant crimson hard by there will be another with a warm orange hue perceivable through the grime by one who is on the lookout for it but by no one else then there may be bits of old advertisement of which here and there a gaily colored fragment may remain or a rusty iron hook or a bit of bright green moss few indeed are the old walls even in the grimiest parts of london on which no redeeming bits of color can be found by those who are practiced in looking for them to like color to wish to find it and thus to have got naturally into a habit of looking for it this alone will enable a man to see color and to make a note of it when he has seen it and this alone will lead him towards a pleasing and natural scheme of color in his work good color can never be got by putting down color which is not seen 
at any rate only a master who has long served accuracy can venture on occasional inaccuracy telling a lie knowing it to be a lie and as se non vera ben trovata the grown man in his art may do this and indeed is not a man at all unless he knows how to do it daily and hourly without departure from the truth even in his boldest lie but the child in art must stick to what he sees if he looks harder he will see more and may put more but till he sees it without being in any doubt about it he must not put it there is no such sure way of corrupting one's color sense as the habitual practice of putting down color which one does not see this and the neglecting to look for it are equal faults the first error leads to melodramatic vulgarity the other to torpid dullness and it is hard to say which is worse it may be said that the preservation of all the little episodes of color which can be discovered in an object whose general effect is dingy and the suppression of nothing but the uninteresting colorless details amount to what is really a forcing and exaggeration of nature differing but little from downright fraud so far as its effect goes since it gives an undue preference to the color side of the matter in equity if the exigencies of the convention under which we are working require a sacrifice of a hundred details the majority of which are uncolored while in the minority color can be found if looked for the sacrifice should be made pro rata from colored and uncolored alike if the facts of nature are a hundred of which ninety are dull in color and ten interesting and the painter can only give ten he must not give the ten interesting bits of color and neglect the ninety soberly colored details strictly he should sacrifice eighty-one sober details and nine colored ones he will thus at any rate preserve the balance and relation which obtain in nature between colored and uncolored this no doubt is what he ought to do if he leaves the creative poetic and more properly artistic aspect of his own function out of the question if he is making himself a mere transcriber holding the mirror up to nature with such entire forgetfulness of self as to be rather looking-glass than man this is what he must do but the moment he approaches nature in this spirit he ceases to be an artist and the better he succeeds as painter of something that might pass for a colored photograph the more inevitably must he fail to satisfy or indeed to appeal to us at all as poet as one whose sympathies with nature extends beyond her superficial aspect or as one who is so much at home with her as to be able readily to dissociate the permanent and essential from the accidental which may be here to-day and gone to-morrow if he is to come before us as an artist he must do so as a poet or creator of that which is not as well as a mirror of that which is true experience in all kinds of poetical work shows that the less a man creates the better that the more in fact he makes the less is he of a maker but experience also shows that the course of true nature like that of true love never does run smooth and that occasional judicious slight departures from the actual facts by one who knows the value of a lie too well to waste it bring nature more vividly and admirably before us than any amount of adherence to the letter of strict accuracy it is the old story the letter killeth but the spirit giveth life with color then he who does not look for it will begin by not seeing it unless it is so obtrusive that there is no escaping it he will therefore in his rendering of the hundred facts of nature above referred to not see the ten colored bits at all supposing them to be even at their brightest somewhat sober 
and his work will be colorless or disagreeable in color. The faithful copyist, who is still a mere copyist, will give nine details of dull, uninteresting color and one of interesting. The artist or poet will find some reason for slightly emphasizing the colored details and will scatter here and there a few slight, hardly perceptible allusions to more colored details than come within the letter of his bond, but will be careful not to overdo it. The vulgar sensational painter will force in his color everywhere, and of all colorists he must be pronounced the worst. Briefly, then, to see color is simply to have got into a habit of not overlooking the patches of color which are seldom far to seek or hard to see by those who look for them. It is not the making one's self believe that one sees all manner of colors which are not there. It is only the getting oneself into a mental habit of looking out for episodes of color, and of giving them a somewhat undue preference in the struggle for rendering, wherever anything like a reasonable pretext can be found for doing so. For if a picture is to be pleasing in color, pleasing colors must be put upon the canvas, and reasons have got to be found for putting them there. 1886. P.S. The foregoing note wants a great deal of reconsideration, for which I cannot find time just now. January 31st, 1898. End of section 12. Recording by Colleen McMahon.